0: graciously to our loving father that we're able to continue to study his words and his commands. Last episode, the DQA, we talked about fractals. Fractals, of course, are patterns that repeat themselves. And it's shown us a thing or two about Yahuwah, the infinite and nature, which he created the orderly because of the fractal nature or the, 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 the nature of fractals, which are repetitive patterns and organized very systematic way. So just as a way of review, Let's go back to the question, well, what are fractals in the first place? Well, fractals are mathematical constructs um, that are based on pattern that repeats itself, builds upon itself. So the iteration of a pattern is increasingly becoming more and more complex in different parts of the fractal. And this is seen macroscopically and microscopically. And so a good way to kind of show you what a fractal is, is by showing you a picture or an image of a fractal. Here is a computer-generated fractal image, and it looks something like this. And when you magnify it, when you zoom in, it becomes more and more complex. You find different patterns. But there are three characteristics of fractals, one of which is when you look at this big picture, this image of a fractal, you notice that little uh, little dot in the front of it. It's actually not a dot, but it's actually an iteration of the bigger picture. And so what you have is when you keep magnifying and magnifying, it repeats itself again and again. So fractal is basically patterns that repeat themselves in more and more complex ways. So that's one of the characteristics. The whole is in the parts in increasingly complex repetitions. Another characteristic of fractals that we studied last week is that there's a mirror image. There's a symmetry which is created by a mirror image, right? So you have the top looking the same as the bottom, which we, which we call a chiastic structure. And this is something that is prevalent in many of these fractal patterns. And not only that, when you magnify different sections of the fractal It gives you different images, and these different images are beautiful. And they also repeat themselves again and again. And depending on which section you are looking into, you will find the hole in the parts, the parts in the hole, and you will find different layers of these patterns all throughout the uh, fractal. And so it's really a fascinating thing to look at fractals Right? I don't know if you can see that on video. Is it visible on video? Anyways, um, so that's the third characteristic of fractals. They are patterns that repeat themselves again and again in different layers, in different sections and on different levels. So the three characteristics of fractals are number one, the whole is in the parts. Number two, there's a chiastic symmetrical structure. And number three, there are patterns that repeat themselves in increasingly complex ways. So why are we studying all about fractals? Because it turns out fractals reveal so much about nature. In fact, according to researchers, according to scientists uh, from this book, The Bible Matrix, fractals are everywhere. You can see them in the relationship between your arteries, blood vessels and capillaries, and also in the relationship between the trees and the rainforest branches on the trees, the twigs on the branches, the patterns in the leaves. They're also evident and apparent in animal coloration uh, patterns, river networks, lightning bolts, ocean waves, DNA, earthquakes, the structure of snowflakes and other crystals, and our favorite, the Romanesco broccoli. So you can find fractal structures, fractal patterns, almost in every aspect of nature, whether it be from... The cosmos, like the spiral galaxies and the solar systems, or within our DNA, or within nature itself, there are evidences of the structure and pattern of fractals. And so fractals, apparently, whoever created the universe had fractals in mind. And we know that the creator is, of course, Yahuwah Abba, and the creation is often a reflection of the creator, right? So, for example, if you're a human being and you create a poem or you create a piece of art, the art and the poem that you make is a reflection of you. The creator created the universe. In the universe, there are many aspects of fractal design. And so this reveals something about Yahuwah Allahim. What is that? Well, first of all, Yahuwah likes repetition of pattern. He likes beauty. Yahuwah is infinite. Yahuwah is Is also outside of space and time because the fractal nature, the fractal, mathematically speaking, the construct itself points to a infinite being who created a finite universe because no fractal in the actual universe is infinite in its complexity. So this tells us the creator who is infinite is not contained in the creation that he created. This is why he is distinct from his. Creation. So Yahuwah is revealed in terms of his creation that he is systematic, he has patterns, and that he is orderly. He likes to do things orderly. Yahuwah is a God or an Elohim of order and not disorder. And so, having that in mind, knowing that the creation is a reflection of the Creator and knowing that fractals are everywhere in nature, well, how about? One of Yahuwah's creations, which is, of course, the Holy Bible, right? The Bible is the product of Yahuwah's breath. Yahuwah breathed these scriptures into existence. And so it's also a manifestation, a reflection of Yahuwah. So do fractals reveal something to us about the structure of the Holy Bible itself? Now, what we do in the disciples' training program is to study the Bible. There are two basic ways to study the Bible. What's the first one? Well, we study the Bible analytically, and this is what we have been doing so far in our BHP and our BQA. Oftentimes, when we read scripture, we do so analytically. What does that mean? We break the Bible into different parts, maybe different books, different chapters, different passages. And so, we break it apart and we study and analyze the passage. And when we do so, we keep breaking it into parts. For example, we look at the ancient languages. We also look at the culture so that we can see how the parts kind of fit in or what the meaning of the parts are. And so when we study the Bible analytically, which is a good way to study the Holy Bible. In fact, this this should be the first phase of one's study of Holy Scripture. And so when we go through the discipleship training program, we will teach you how to do exactly that, how to use the ancient languages how to study each passage, how to learn the different, um, different nuances of meaning of the words used in the Holy Bible. And so we analyze the parts and then we apply the parts, the principles that we find in the Holy Bible in our daily life. And oftentimes, this is this is going to yield fruit. It's going to create a harvest of righteousness. And this is what we do for the most part. However, We must not just rely on studying the Bible analytically, because if we just rely on studying the Bible analytically, breaking it into parts, we're going to miss an awesome part, an awesome aspect, an awesome feature of the Holy Bible, which demonstrates to us without a shadow of a doubt, the Holy Bible is not the product of the inspiration of men. The Holy Bible is the product of the inspiration of Yahuwah. And so the way we see that is when we study the Bible, not just analytically, take note, it's important for us to study the Bible analytically, but we also need to study the Bible holistically, we need to see the macroscopic view of the Holy Bible, not just the microscopic view, we need to look at the forest, while also studying the details and the the specifics of the trees. And the branches and the roots, right? But we also cannot forget how the whole forest looks like. So we look at the specifics, but we also look at it holistically. The whole picture of the Holy Bible. Because the Bible is not just some collection of books, although that's what it is. But it's not just a collection of books. All the different parts of the collection of these books, they form a picture Because they're all integrated and all related. However, for us to appreciate how everything fits together, we need to look at the Bible, not just analytically, but holistically. And so we look for patterns. And what we find in the Holy Bible is a repetition of patterns in different layers, in different levels of meaning. It's fascinating. There are multiple fulfillments of symbols that you find in Genesis It's repeated in Daniel and then finds its final completion in Revelation. And so you have this unfolding of pattern that becomes slightly different, more and more glorious in its scope of fulfillment, and it becomes increasingly more and more beautiful and glorious. And you see that in Genesis and then Daniel and then Revelation, it's so awesome to be able to detect. Those patterns that we find in scripture. We will find there's complexity and simplicity. We will look at typology and symbols and how symbols and the understanding of symbols laid out by Genesis. There's a lot of symbols laid out in Genesis, which represents the key to our understanding of Revelation. And so, Revelation, the book of Revelation, which was written thousands of years after the book of Revelation was written, they're all connected. And for you to understand Revelation, you need to know the symbols of the book of Genesis and also the book of Psalms. Genesis and Psalms are rich in what we call symbols by which we can decipher or understand the meaning of the Bible when looked at from a pattern, holistic pattern, or looked at from a perspective of wholeness as the picture of the Bible as a whole. Okay, so having said that, because the Bible can be analyzed analytically and holistically, this kind of suggests that perhaps the Bible has a fractal structure. We would not be surprised because because after all, fractal structures and patterns are found everywhere in the universe. And so does the Bible have a fractal structure? Well, what are the three characteristics of fractals? Number one, the whole is in the parts, right? There is a chiastic structure, a symmetry in the patterns and the patterns repeat themselves in very beautiful ways, in different layers of meaning and different layers of complexity. And so let's go with the first one, the whole is in the parts in increasingly complex repetitions. Well, for us to answer this question, we need to ask ourselves, we need to look at the big picture of the Bible and ask ourselves big picture, what is the whole Bible all about? If you were to give me just one word to summarize all of the Bible, what would it be? One word. Maybe I shouldn't say one word. One name. What would it be? Yahusha. In The book of John 5, 39 to 40, Yahushua says you study the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. And these very scriptures speak about me. Yet you were not willing to come to me in order to have life. And so our King Yahushua, he was reprimanding the Pharisees and the scribes because they study the scripture. They analyze the scripture, but they fail to see the big picture. And so the big picture is the scriptures point to who? Yahushua. And so when you see the big picture of scripture, then it will draw you to Yahushua. Its purpose is to bring a person to faith and trust. In Yahusha, who is the Messiah. And so if one studies and analyzes the scripture without looking at the big picture message, we might miss out on the purpose of scripture, which is to bring people to Yahusha for their redemption and salvation. So Yahusha says, all of scripture speak about me. So scripture is about Yahusha. Now, what does it mean? That scripture is about Yahusha. And how can we Understand and see with our own eyes that the scriptures, all all of it, all the books in the scripture, speak about Yahusha. In the book of Luke 24, 44 to 47, then he said to them, these are the very things I told you about, about while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the writings of the prophets, and the Psalms. Had to come true that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah must suffer and must rise from death three days later. And in his name, the message about repentance and the forgiveness of sins must be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So the big picture of the scriptures is about Yahusha. And what is this scriptural message about Yahusha? It's namely the theme of Yahusha suffering and being glorified. When you look at the the scriptures from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, it's one story. Okay? It's one story by one author, Yahuwah. And that one story is about the suffering and glorification of one man. Who is that? Our king, Yahusha. That's basically... The, the story of the Bible in a nutshell, the suffering and the eventual glorification of Yahushua. We also call this the gospel message for us to be able to grasp this big picture of the Holy Bible and what's, what it's all about. We need to ask Yahushua to open our minds. This is why in verse 45, the Bible says his, this, the disciples of Yahushua, when they were reading the Holy Scriptures, right? The Bible says, then he opened their minds to understand scripture. Without Yahushua opening our minds, we're not going to see Yahushua in scripture. We're going to be like the Pharisees who analyze it to death, but not come away with this awesome good news, which we call the gospel. And so Apostle Paul, when he was preaching and teaching, what was his main message? Let's read the book of Romans 10, 9 to 13, that if you confess with your mouth, Yahusha is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call to him. For everyone who calls on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. And so that's the gospel message. Everywhere Apostle Paul went, he preached the gospel message. The essence of the Bible is the the death, the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of Yahusha. This is why for a person to be saved, they need to believe that. They need to accept the lordship of because of Yahusha's death, burial, and resurrection, we can be redeemed of our sin. And we become children of Yahuwah who are able to call upon his name and receive salvation according to the new covenant. This is why that's the gospel message which is preached here in Romans 10, 9 to 13, which is what the scripture as a whole is all about is found throughout the Holy Bible. So that's the whole picture of the Bible. Did you know the whole picture of the Bible is found in the first word of the Bible? Remember, one of the characteristics of the fractal is the whole can be found in the part, right? Is that true when it comes to the gospel message? The whole, is it found in the part? I'm going to look at the first verse of the Holy Bible. In English, what does that say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first verse. The first word of the first verse, it's right there. Bereshit. Bereshit. It's interesting because in Hebrew, which is what was used to compose the Holy Bible, every letter in Hebrew corresponds to a meaning because Hebrew letters were also pictographs, because the ancient languages used the alphabet, and each alphabet had a corresponding meaning. This is the first word of the first verse in the Holy Bible. Bereshi. It is composed of bet, resh, aleph, shin, yod, and tab. Now let's test our hypothesis that the whole of the gospel message. Which is the resurrection and death of Yehusha, so that we can also call upon his name and receive salvation? Is that found in the first word of the Holy Bible? This is Bereshit, and we know that each letter represents a meaning, a meaning. And so you can go online and look at the pictographs, the Hebrew letters. These are this is the ancient Hebrew alphabet, and when you look at Bereshit. It is composed of the following letters, the bet, the resh, the aleph, the shin, the yod, and the tab. What is the meaning of the word bet? When we go to our chart, bet means house. And that is simple enough. House. Someone creates a house, right? Well, maybe it corresponds to the universe. House represents creation. Okay. Resh. Uh, let's, that, the next word is resh. So bet is house. What does resh mean? Well, resh often represents the head, the first, and so resh, we put their head, the leader, the first, the primary, we look at aleph, aleph is the first the first word, and it represents strength, ox, leader, in this case it would be Yahuwah, he is alahim, aleph represents alahim, shin, what is the meaning of shin, shin means to eat, to consume, to destroy, and so when we look at shin, It is to destroy. How about Yod? Yod is represented by a hand. And so it is, it means hand or work. In other words, you use your hand to create something, right? Your hand is used to create. And so Yod is hand, right? And Tav is covenant. And so when we put it together, the first word of the Bible, Bereshit, means House, head, God, destroy, head, covenant. Head means to create. And so when we look at this, it forms a message, doesn't it? Do you see the message? Well, who is the head of the house? Who is the head of all creation? The Logos, who is that? Yahusha, he is the head of the household. Aleph, which which is God, destroys, right? And so Yahusha, who is the head of the household, God destroys. To create a covenant. That's the message. The message of Bereshit, when we look at the pictograph meaning of every letter of Bereshit, it translates to Yahusha, the head of all things, will be destroyed by the hand of the supreme God to create a new covenant so that we can be God's children and call upon his name. Isn't that fascinating? And you know, when we do. When we look at patterns, we always need to check the plain sense of Scripture, right? So when we study Scripture analytically, we look at the plain sense of Scripture, how was given to us. When we study it holistically, we look at patterns, both macroscopically and microscopically. And so here we have a macroscopic pattern. We need to test that with Scripture in the plain sense, and so this message, Yahuwah, the head of all things, will be destroyed by the hand of the supreme God to create a new covenant so that we can be God's children who calls upon his name. Is that biblical? Does it match the plain sense of scripture? Absolutely. Because you can look in 1 Timothy 3.15, right? There's God's household. Yahusha is the head of God's household. Yahuwah is the father and God of Lord Yahushua Christ, and He was the one who destroyed and smitten him with his hand to create a new covenant in Hebrews 9:14 to 15, so that we can become his children. And so it matches the plain sense of scripture. And so what we can say is the whole is found in the part. Isn't that amazing? The whole picture of scripture, which Yahushua said is about him is suffering, death, burial, resurrection, and glorification. All of that is found in the first word of the Holy Bible. This is why the scripture is inspired by God, because no human being would be able to come up with that, to be able to integrate all the different parts of the Holy Bible down to even the letters of the name. And I'm sure when we examine the Holy Scriptures and look for more patterns, we're going to find a plethora of patterns, we're going to find more and more as we study. The more we study Scripture, the more we discover. Why do you think, uh, out of all the books in the history of mankind, the most studied book happens to also be the most hated book? And the reason why they cannot get rid of it is because the more they criticize it, the more pattern, the more learning that they're they are uncovering. And so, instead of destroying it, they want to adopt it now because they're learning more and more from. Scripture, And so the gospel message, the whole gospel message is found in that one word in the holy scriptures. The whole is in the parts, right? And the tiny part of that. Not only that, the gospel is also found in nature. This is why it's also written the signs of the heavens, which we talked about, the constellations and so forth, about the birth of our King Yahushua. Not only that, it is found in other parts of nature, like the metaphor of the seed, the seed dies it's buried it bears a plant and then it bears fruit that's like the gospel message that is being communicated by nature and of course we studied before the crimson worm and there's so many other things that we find in nature that communicate to us the pattern of redemption the gospel message in nature not only is the whole found in these 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 parts in nature it's also found in action. What do you mean? The gospel message is in action. For example, we studied before the two witnesses, right? The two witnesses, what did they do? They reenacted the gospel message. So they preached about Yahusha because they were witnessing for Yahusha. And as they were preaching, they were persecuted. Yahusha was persecuted. They were put to death. Yahusha was put to death, right? Um, They were resurrected, Yahusha was resurrected, the ascended, Yahusha ascended, and so the the gospel message in action was portrayed by the two witnesses again the whole is found in the part, not only that, and this is really totally fascinating, not only is the gospel message found not only in the demonstration of the two witnesses, it is also found and is expected of individual conversion. What do you mean individual conversion? Well, how is a person converted? How does a person become a disciple of Yahusha? How does a person benefit from the redemption of our King Yahusha? When they are, what happens to them? Because of their faith and trust they receive baptism. Do you know what Apostle Paul says about baptism? The book of Romans 6, 3 to 4. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Yehusha in baptism, that's how we become a disciple. That's how we join Yahushua when we're baptized. How is baptism described? We joined him in his death. And so when we're baptized, we die, right? We die. And what happens after we die? We were buried. This is why there's immersion in baptism, right? And Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live new lives. So in individual conversion, we find the pattern of the gospel, death, burial, resurrection. We are immersed into the water. We die with Yahushua, right? We're buried with Yahushua, but we come out of the water, new, transformed individuals with a new identity, which is the identity of the risen Christ, Yahushua Mashiach. And so it's clear that we find the first aspect, of the fractal characteristics the whole is in the part in increasingly complex repetitions we find that in the gospel message you see that and this is something that we are going to continue to develop because we're just scratching the surface there's so much of the gospel in every part of scripture so much it's really amazing and so let's go now to the next one chiastic structure And not many people are aware of what theastic means, but it basically represents symmetry. Symmetry is one half looks identical with the the other half, right? And so when you look at this fractal, for example, the top half, we can call that A, is the mirror image of A mirror. A and A mirror look identical, except that it's kind of inverse because of the mirror symmetry, right? So that's the chiastic structure of this fractal, of this image. However, the Bible also has an image. The image are the thoughts, the thoughts that are found in in the scripture. And so when we look at a passage in scripture, it turns out many of the passages have a chiastic structure, which means it follows this outline. And so you have one thought, a B, C, D, all the way to two, A2, right, so you have a sequential event, a sequential thought, a sequential narrative, but when you look at it using the lens of a chiastic structure, we see a pattern which looks something like this, a upside down V, right, like uh, when when birds fly together, kind of take on this shape, and so this What this means is, you know, you have one statement in the Holy Bible leading to another statement in its development of the narrative all the way to T, and then it develops the narrative all the way to A2, but when you compare the the elements of that narrative, the elements of the thoughts that is contained in the narrative itself, you find that there's a relationship between A1 and A2, B1 and B2, C1 and C2, D1 and D2, so on and so forth. So it creates some... kind of structure and the purpose of the structure is to highlight letter t and that letter t is the main point it's as though Yahuwah wants us to focus our attention on that point right there because that's the most important part of the whole narrative okay because there's going to be a message oftentimes more often than not there's going to be an important message in that letter t or in that climax right and so if you have a narrative you have like a story, and so you develop the story. It reaches a crescendo. It reaches the high point, the climax, and then it kind of finds resolution to whatever conflict the story is producing, right? And so that's the chiastic structure. Sometimes uh, you will have two midpoints or two statements which are important, and we will find that in the Holy Bible. There are many chiastic structures. For example, if you were to read Genesis 6, All the way to Genesis chapter 9, which is the narrative of Noah. If you want to know about Noah, just read Genesis 6 all the way to 9. How many here read Genesis 6 all the way to 9? You probably have not. And so it's a narrative. There are events that are sequential. And the events that are sequential are as follows. So God makes a covenant with Noah. Noah brings in clean animals. Noah brings in unclean animals. Noah enters the ark. The flood rises. The ark rests. The flood abates. Noah exits the ark. Noah sacrifices some animals. It talks about Noah's new diet and then God's covenant with Noah, because in Noah's diet, um, all an- apparently before, you could not eat animals. Now you can. And so the first indication that people can eat meat is found in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, and God's covenant with Noah. Okay, so that's the sequence of events of the Noah and the flood narrative. Okay, six all the way to nine. Now, when you look at the events depicted here by by chapter 6 to 9, you can see a pattern. For example, the first one and the last one, they kind of go together. Their patterns are the same because they communicate some kind of covenant. Before Yahuwah destroys the earth, Yahuwah says to Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth, but I'm going to set you apart, you and your family, right, in Genesis 6. And so that's the covenant Yahuwah makes with, with, with Noah. And then Genesis 9, when everything is completed, right? Yeah creates another covenant with Noah, but this time the whole covenant is not just with Noah, but all of creation. That the, the world, the earth will no longer will be destroyed again by a flood. Okay. And so you have the covenant made in Genesis 6, and then another covenant made in Genesis 9, and they're compared to each other. And so you go on to Noah brings in clean animals and in Noah's diet. The flood rises, the flood abates, and right at the center of it all is what? The ark rested, right? And so what does that tell us about the, the whole flood story? Yes, it tells us about sin and how sin brings corruption and how Yahuwah will judge sin. That's an important point. When we read the plain text of Noah, right? When we read the plain text and analyze all the different parts about the narrative of no, it tells us about sin, it tells us about the judgment of sin, however, when we look at it holistically, it shows us a beautiful picture, and that beautiful picture is evident when you look at the climax, when you look at the midpoint of that symmetry, the symmetry line, what does the symmetry line say, the Ark rested. In other words, in this whole narrative, that's the most important part, right? Yahuwah wants us to focus on that part. And so if we are to read Genesis 8 1 to 5, it mentions there the ark rested on the 17th day of the seventh month. What day is that? That's the day Yahusha resurrected. Yahusha was put to death on the first, he was resurrected on the on the uh, four, three, on the uh, on the seventeenth, so he was put to death on the fourteenth, right, and he was resurrected on the seventeenth. And so, what this tells us is at the midpoint, right, the climax of this whole narrative, the most important part of this whole narrative, points to the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahusha. And so, you can see judgment, which is the flood, right? How. Yahusha is represented by the ark itself. And the ark is going through this flood and death and burial and resurrection on the third day. It's all depicted in the flood story, but the resurrection, the victory is the ark rests. This is why it's interesting because the mountain upon which the ark rested was called Ararat, which means in Hebrew, curse reversed so the resurrection of yahushua reverses the curse and ushers in the restoration and so this is just amazing how you can find chiastic structures like that and that's not the only one there's plenty of chiastic structures that you find all throughout the holy bible and here are some examples genesis 17 genesis 32 genesis 32 uh, to 33 and so this is like a chiastic structure upon a structure. And this is our homework assignment for the discipleship training program. I want you to read these passages as for, for homework and then outline for me the chiastic structure of Genesis 17, 32 and 32 to 33. Now, there's also a chiastic structure in the book of Revelation. And so we've studied Revelation so far. It begins with a prologue, ends with an epilogue. A prologue is about, prologue is about the glorified Yahusha who appears to apostle John and has a message to the seven assemblies, which are on earth. The epilogue, 2215, Yahushua returns and brings the assembly to heaven, right? And so the glorified Christ is now accompanied by the glorified assembly. And so that's like a correspondence there. And so when we kind of look at the structure, when we go through, uh, before we go there, we look at the, so the outline. So what we have here, basically is the outline of the book of Revelation, book of Revelation has 22 chapters. We've studied so far Revelation chapter 11. Now we're going to be finishing Revelation 12 on on Thursday. And so when we look at the structure of the outline of the book of Revelation because of the prologue, and then we talked about the seven assemblies, Revelation 1 to 3, and then the opening of the seals, and then the trumpet plagues we just concluded, and then Satan's ultimate wrath, and also the beginning of the, the downfall of Satan and his minions, which is found in the Antichrist and the beast, and in Yahuwah's victory, the seven last plagues. Then we have the marriage of the Lamb, and then the church in the kingdom, the Millennial Kingdom, and then the epilogue. And so all of this structure shows us the relationship between history and prophecy, right? This is why triassic structures are important because it reveals on both ends insight about history, which in turn reveals insight about prophecy. And so prophecy and history go together and they're kind of glued together by this chiastic uh, structure. Interestingly, the midpoint of this chiastic structure is the ultimate wrath of Satan. And was ultimate victory, which tells us somewhere there, we're going to have the harpatzah, which is the main, this is like the correspondence is the re- the. Yahusha coming down into our bodies in the form of the spirit right the Pentecost and so now we're going to have the harpazo and Yahusha is going to bring us into his fellowship and so that's it's fascinating how revelation is outlined in this way in a chiastic form and so we looked at chiasm the the chiastic structure in the uh, chapters of the Bible. We looked at the whole book of the Bible, right? So in chapters, the book. Well, how about the whole picture of restoration? The whole picture of revelation and restoration. We also have a chiastic structure. Yes. So when we look at the history of the earth, the history of the earth, let's look at it for, for a while because it shows us the fascinating repetition of pattern that we find throughout scripture. It begins with Bereshit. Remember Bereshit? Yahuwah creates the heaven and the earth through the Logos. Yahusha was in his mind because everything was created for him, for him to be the head and the mediator of all creation because Yahuwah knew in advance. After creation, man is going to fall because what Yahuwah wants is redemptive man, not robotic man. And so Yahuwah creates man nonetheless, even though he knows they're going to fall because he has a redeemer. The Logos fulfilled Yahushua HaMashiach. And so after creation of Adam and Eve, what happens to mankind? We have the fall, right? Adam and Eve make the wrong choice. They choose to follow the serpent, set up, you know, So they fall, and after the fall, it's all downhill from there. Cain, this uh, Cain um, kills Abel, right? And eventually, they have another son, Seth. And during that time, Bible says people begin to call on the name of Yahuwah. So that's like the next main event. It's like the establishment of, maybe we can call it worship, true worship and religion. So man began to call on the name of Yahuwah. And then after this, although man began to call and worship Yahuwah, what happened to man? He still became evil, right? The pattern of corruption is still present ever since the very beginning. That's one of the patterns that we'll find throughout scripture is, Yahuwah would forgive them and bless them, but then they would turn away from Yahuwah, right? Repentance and apostasy. It always happens in scripture. And so mankind turns away from Yahuwah and Yahuwah decides to destroy the whole world, but saves a remnant. Who is that remnant? Noah, right? And so a remnant is saved from judgment by water and used to continue the plan because Yahuwah ushered in or he set in motion the plan for redemption when he made a promise in Genesis 3:15 about the promised seed. Right. So that plan continues, but he will destroy the whole world because of sin. But the plan still continues because it's going to be a remnant. A remnant is set apart in the form or through Noah and his family. And so eventually, right, you have Israel is called to be a nation from Egypt. And so you have Abraham and then Joseph, and then Egypt, and then Israel in Egypt. But Israel turns away from Yahuwah, right? Which is a repeating pattern. And Israel divides and becomes two nations, Israel and Judah. And so Israel becomes captives to Assyria, and then Judah falls into captivity, led by Nebuchadnezzar, right? destroys um, Judah. And so after this event, the next historic event was Yahusha's advent. So Yahusha now is preaching the gospel, and so that's the midpoint. That's the most important part of the history of mankind: the advent of Yahusha, which includes his preaching, his suffering, his death, his burial, and resurrection. So all of that is the high point. That's like the most important part of the chiastic structure of overall redemption from beginning to creation. So now we can expect uh, the next event. I mean, after Yahusha's advent, I mean, were there people called into the kingdom during the preaching of Yahusha here on earth? Yeah, who were called first? The Jews, right? And so now when we look at the chiastic structure, Jews being called corresponds to a restoration of the fall of Judah. Isn't it interesting, right? And so when you look at the history, ooh, there is a correspondence there. After the Jews were called, who were also called? The Gentiles. Right? Judah falls into captivity. The Jews are called. And so we have here the correspondence. And then next, the Gentiles are called. Interestingly, Israel, it, it corresponds to the Gentiles being called. So Israel falling into captivity, it corresponds to the Gentiles being called. What is the relationship between Israel and the Gentiles? There has to be some kind of correlation or some kind of relationship, right, for this chaotic structure to work. It turns out in Genesis 35, Israel would become a nation and a company of nations because through Israel, Joseph will produce Manasseh and Ephraim and will represent a multitude of people. And the word Gentile turns out is a multitude of people, multitude of individuals, a tribe, nation, people group. And so what we find, therefore, is that Israel and Gentiles go together. And so Israel would be the instrument by which people groups will be incorporated into the people of Alahi. And that's fascinating because we know what happened to Yishara. We know what happened to Israel. They were scattered all over the world, right? In the islands of the sea. They were scattered there by Turkey. They were scattered in Africa. And so we know they are going to bear the harvest of people groups and they will be called according to the sequence of history. And so Gentiles are called, right? But we know what happened there. The the assembly turns away from Yahuwah, which corresponds to Israel turning away from Yahuwah. And then Israel is called from the islands of the sea, at least it begins there according to Isaiah, right? But we know also there's going to be a remnant, which corresponds to the remnant that was used in the beginning. And so you see the pattern and how history informs the prophecy, how history informs us of future events. So a remnant is used to continue the plan for salvation from judgment by fire. Now take a look at C, right? After this remnant is set apart, what do you think will be the next event? Well, in letter C, it says there that people began to call upon the name of Yahuwah. So we can expect after this remnant has been set apart, apart through fire, not through water, but through fire, which is in Zechariah 13.9, right? What's going to happen next? Well, people again will call in the name of Yahuwah. When did we begin to we'll call upon the name of Yahuwah? When the remnant was set apart. And this is fulfilled in that part, and then afterwards, the restoration of mankind, which will be the millennial kingdom, and this this restores the fall of mankind, and it's a beautiful structure the way everything kind of interrelates, and then eventually Yahuwah creates new heavens and a new earth, and so the millennial kingdom eventually becomes the eternal kingdom when Yahuwah creates all things anew, a new heaven and a new earth, which is the eternal ki- uh, kingdom. And so we now have better sheet. We have in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And at the climax or the completion of it all, we have the new heavens and the new earth. Do you see how the pattern is such so that all the different parts in history, they kind of fall together in a beautiful pattern that is dictated by the will of Yahuwah Alahim. And so Yahusha's advent, that's the central part, the burial, death, I mean, the the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection, glorification of Yahusha. That's the gospel message. And that's the central point of the history of man. This is why the greatest event in the history of man was when Yahuwah gave up his son to die on the cross. And who would eventually be resurrected and glorified. And so that's the chiastic structure of redemption from beginning to end. You see that? And so let's go back to Bereshit, the first word in all the Bible. I wonder if Bereshit also has a theastic structure that explains this whole narrative. Well, let's find out what is Bereshit again? Well, it's basically this, the house, head, God destroy, hand, covenant. What's the center? Well, in this case, there's two. The center is Aleph and Sheen, God destroys, right? That's the center. And so we have one at the top, we have one at the bottom. And so when we look at the meaning of bet and house, that's the son. The head of all creation, the head of the household of Yahusha, of, of Yahuwah is Yahusha, right? And so that represents the son. Aleph, God destroying the son, that represents the sacrifice of the father of the son. So the, fa- the father sacrifices the son. Yod means hand creating something, creating a new covenant. What's the purpose of the covenant? It's for us to become sons. You see the beauty of it? And so many become children of God, of Allah. So it begins with the son. who sacrifices the son so that other people can also be children of Allah. And what is at the center point? It is the gospel message, right? The father sacrifices the son. The son dies. He is buried. He is resurrected. He is glorified. And so what we find is the chiastic structure of the big picture of history, the history of mankind from Genesis to Revelation. The history of it is also a chiastic structure found in the first word of the book of Genesis, Bereshit. This shows you the Bible is not the product of the the human mind. It is inconceivable that something like this can be done because to do something like this requires that you create a, a work of literature that has all these details planned in advance. Number two, the one who created it has to have control of human history. Otherwise, it would not work. And so this tells us the Bible, brethren, the Bible is not the result of man. It is the result of Yahuwah for man. This is why the Bible is an ordinary book. It is an inspired book. Yahuwah breathed it. The book so that we can receive salvation so that's the chiastic structure last part of the characteristic of fractals patterns that repeat themselves in different levels and different layers and we see patterns repeat all the time we're not surprised we find a pattern in scripture for example in genesis 2 we find or in genesis where we find um abraham sacrificing isaac right we find that pattern repeated we find patterns of the well repeated. We find patterns of the dragon, the serpent repeated in the creation story. We have the beasts that were created, that's repeated all throughout Daniel, and it's it is uh, elaborated upon in Revelation. It's fascinating because when you study the holy scriptures, when you look at the beginning of the, when it's when the symbols are first used, it's developed, it's repeated. But when it's repeated, it's developed in a more complex and glorious way, from Genesis to Daniel to Revelation. This is why there's a connection between Genesis, Daniel, and Revelation, and one of the keys is Psalms. We're going to be looking at that when we go through discipleship training program, so that we can look at it hands-on. It's really fascinating. And so when we look at these patterns, we're not surprised that they repeat themselves, because after all, the Bible says what happened before will happen again. What has been done before will be done again. There's nothing new in the whole world. Now, you might be saying, well, what do you mean nothing new? I mean, last time we had President Obama president, then we had Trump, then we have, who do we have today? Biden. What do you mean nothing new? Those are different presidents. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, there's going to be iterations of the same concept, nothing new in the the, the concept, but you will have variation, of course, right? When it comes to history, but when you look at the patterns of history, it remains the same. In the book of Acts 7.44, what does it mean? There's Nothing really new. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. There are patterns throughout scripture, and the patterns are the ones that's repeated. You will find patterns that you've, that is in Genesis. It's repeated in Leviticus. It's repeated in Daniel. It's repeated in the book of Acts. And it's fascinating to connect the dots and see how all this plays out. You sometimes you have no expectation that these patterns repeat themselves. Okay, so there are patterns that are repeated. And how are they repeated? In the book of Hosea, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. The word similitudes that corresponds to pattern. The pattern is repeated multiple times in different levels, in different layers, like a fractal. This is why it's really amazing. When you look line by line, paragraph by paragraph, the whole body of work of the Holy Bible, it is designed in such a way that communicates organization to an infinite degree that can only be done by the mind of Yahuwah alahim so these patterns are found throughout the holy bible we're going to look at those patterns like i said patterns and symbols in genesis and, and uh, psalms and revelation and we're going to look at how it all works together uh, one example of a pattern that's repeated throughout the bible but in increasing variation or in increasing grandeur increasing glory is the one here in exodus and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on The mountain, so what is being spoken about here is the tabernacle. So, There's a pattern that was given Moses, right? This pattern is to be followed. And in Hebrews 8, it it says, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so there's a pattern of the tabernacle being spoken of here. And this is a specific example of a pattern. The Bible tells us there's a pattern about the tabernacle. And this pattern uh, started back in the days of Moses, when he was shown a pattern of the tabernacle. Right? And so we know the tabernacle was constructed. Was the tabernacle repeated? Yeah. In a more glorious way, in the form of the temple, Solomon's temple. Will this pattern be repeated? Yeah. There's going to be imposters, like a false temple, but it's going to be repeated again. Even more elaborate, even more glorious, the pattern is going to be repeated this time in Ezekiel's temple during the millennial kingdom. Will this be also repeated? Yeah. It will culminate in the heavenly temple. So you started with tabernacle, and then you went to Solomon's temple, then to Ezekiel's temple, and then to the heavenly temple. And so the same pattern repeated In such a way, such that the iteration of its repetition builds upon itself, so it becomes expressed in a a more glorious fashion, the more glorious way, right? From tabernacle to temple on earth, to temple during the millennial, to heavenly temple. And even bad guys, or patterns about the bad guys, right? Like Nimrod, first dictator, then Nebuchadnezzar, the punisher of the people of Israel, then Antiochus. Epiphanes, and then you got Nero, and then you got Antichrist. And so throughout history, you find this relationship between these bad guys, right? Nimrod, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar punished people of Israel. Nero punished the early followers of Yehusha, Antiochus, Epiphanes or during the age when the temple was restored, Nimrod and Antichrist, they kind of correspond to each other. The first Nimrod, the first dictator, deceiver, and, the, uh, and Antichrist will correspond to the final iteration of the Antichrist. So Nimrod, Nebuchadnezzar, Antiochus, Nero, Antichrist. So all these patterns are repeated. So you have patterns that are repeated in different levels and in different layers. Not only do we have patterns, we also have the following. First Corinthians 10, and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Apostle Paul is speaking about what happened during the wilderness journey led by Moses. And so according to Apostle Paul, they were followed by a rock because Yahuwah used a rock. But of course the rock is not Yahusha himself. Yahusha is not a a rock, literally a rock. He's not a physical rock, right? But in the wilderness traveling, there was a rock used by Yahusha that was providing water, right? Now Apostle Paul, says there's a meaning to that. There's a pattern to that that's being repeated. He says in verse six, now these things became our examples. The word example is really tupos, which means typology to the intent, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they, they also lusted. Now all these things happened to them as examples, tupos, which is template, I mean template or type uh, typology, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. And so Apostle Paul identifies throughout his many epistles, his letters, he uses many um, he uses the form of typology. remember typology, a type of Christ. There are many structures, historical events, historical people in the Old Testament, that point forward and kind of foreshadow the coming and work of Yahusha. there's so many. So many, it is overwhelming. Here are some examples of typology in the Bible. Adam is called the first Adam. Yehusha is the second Adam. Abel, when he was killed, the voice of his shed blood was crying out. But Yehusha's blood, blood is more capable and more is better than the, the cry of the, the blood's cry of Abel's crying blood. Noah's Ark, Melchizedek, Jacob's Ladder, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, Passover Lamb, Manah, the Bronze Snake. High priest, tabernacle, the veil, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant itself, the Sabbath, the rock, the Jonah, the Israel, in fact, the Ark of the Covenant itself, when you look at all the parts, right, you got the mercy seat, and you got what's inside the (laughs) manna, the omer of manna, the rod that was budding, Aaron's rod, and uh, what else was in there, the tablets, all of that is a picture of who, Yahushua, Jonah, Sabbath, Israel, We're going to study so many typologies in the Bible when we get into that topic in our discipleship training program. Also, patterns in the Bible. You notice how many sevens there are in the Holy Bible? It's by design. And we find it all over the book of Revelation. Seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven plagues, seven mountains, seven kings. Sevens of Revelation include seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven stars, seven lamps, seven title pairs, seven promises of the overcomer, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns. There are so many sevens in the Holy Bible. More, seven features, seven letter divisions, seven I ams of Christ, seven doxologies in heaven, seven new things in Revelation twenty twenty one, and there are more. That's why you have the dot, 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 dot. There's more. <laughs> structures of seven patterns of seven that we find in revelation or even seven blessings of revelation blessed is he that hear and keep those things revelation 1 3 blessed are the the dead who die in the lord blessed is he that watch and keep his garments blessed are those who call unto the who are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection blessed is he keepeth words of the prophet in this book. Blessed are those who do his commandments. When you look at the seven structure of blessing, it corresponds to something in scripture that is mind-blowing. You know what it is? We're not going to tell you yet. We're going to tell you in the future. Okay, But every pattern that's found in the Bible, it has a meaning and has a purpose. And its purpose is for us, for us to receive salvation. And so when we look at the holy bible there's a lot of patterns that repeat and one of the most repeated patterns like i said is romans 11 2 down to 5 god has not cast away his people and so there's a pattern that we find in scripture about the people of allahim if you can tell me what often what always happens with the people of allahim what is that what do they always do huh i mean ever since they were called what were they doing complaining apostasy they haven't even reached the promised Land yet. They were already reprimanded and punished for 40 years, right? Because they always fall into this pattern of apostasy. And so his people, Yeshua, they always follow a certain pattern. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with uh, Elohim against Israel, saying, Yahuwah, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? Yehua says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, that at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so there's this pattern of Yahuwah setting apart a remnant so that his people who are falling into apostasy will be able to continue the work that Yahuwah planned. Just like what happened during the the flood. Yahuwah's people, the the, the, the line of Seth, they were corrupted eventually, but Yahuwah set apart what? A remnant, eight. (laughs) That's a small remnant, right? Set apart eight. In the same way that pattern repeats itself during the days of the judges, during the days of the kings. And during our time today as well, even during the days of the Apostle Paul, he says, his people Israel, yes, they turned away against Yahuwah. They rejected Yahushua, but there's a pattern, a remnant, even today. There's a remnant, just like there was a remnant during the days of Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah. There was a a pattern of a remnant who Yahuwah used to continue his work, his unfolding work of redemption and restoration. So what we have in the Holy Bible, it's very clear. This is not an ordinary book. This book, the Bible, is not an ordinary book. There is design. There is pattern in different levels, in different layers. It can only mean one thing. The one who authored it is one who can think with infinity. Who is that? Yahuwah. Not only is the author of the Holy Bible one who is able to grasp what is infinite, he also has to have this following power. Isaiah 55, 11. It is the same with my word. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. You see, Yahuwah, the, the Holy Bible does not only illustrate for us the infinite knowledge of Yahuwah, right? Because he knows... And the ability to design on different levels, different patterns, a masterpiece that we call the Bible. Not only is Yahuwah able to do that, which is expressed in the structure of the whole Bible, the patterns that we find there. It also reveals to us the power of Yahuwah, like what we said, for the Bible to be this way in its uh, rendition and expression of Truths are interrelated in so many different levels, and at the same time, have it fulfilled in history, tells us, Yahuwah controls history. He controls history because he says his word produces fruit. It will accomplish all that he wants. Everything he had written down, it will be fulfilled. Whether we like it or not, it's going to be fulfilled. It doesn't matter what people do, what Yahuwah says will be done because the word of Yahuwah contains the power of Yahuwah. And there's no many thing in the universe that can thwart or hinder the work and purpose of Yahuwah. This is why when we study the Holy Bible, it should excite us. Because we're going to be looking at the mind of Yahuwah, breathe it into existence. And so when we study the Holy Bible, what can we expect to find if we are diligent? In the book of Colossians 2, 2 to 3, because they are united in love. I work so that they may be encouraged by all the riches that come from a complete understanding of Christ. He is the mystery of God, He's the key in unlocking the mysteries of Scripture. Without Yahushua, you won't understand Scripture. Scripture will not make sense. He's the key. Okay. God has hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge in. Christ. And so when we study the Bible, we can expect that we will unearth treasures and treasures and treasures of wisdom and knowledge that is hidden in Christ. That's exciting. And the more we are given this knowledge, the more we understand it, the more we can connect the dot and see the pattern in the whole and in the part, when we see the patterns repeat themselves beautifully that point to Yahusha, all the more we are inspired. Yahuwah is here is who he says he is Yahusha is who he says he is and the book the bible it's really from yahweh for our salvation and so when we study the holy bible we should be inspired and if we are inspired by the holy bible what are we going what's going to be the end result what is the ultimate purpose of yahweh and why he gave us this book in the first place let's read in our final passage today such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for Yahuwah's promises to be fulfilled. All of us here in the ascendant Yahusha are waiting for the promises of Yahuwah to be fulfilled. We cannot wait for that trumpet to be sounded and see Yahushua descending from heaven to give us the promise of everlasting life, but we have to wait. It's not about our timing. It's about Yahuwah's timing. Apostle Peter says, Yahuwah wants more people to be saved. This is why we need to continue to share our faith, right? We need to be instruments, disciples, all of us. This is why we have the discipleship training program. It's not just the minister who should be doing harvest work. All of us do harvest work. It's all of our responsibility to teach, and become a disciple. We want people to be saved. Because Yahuwah has a reason for why we have to wait. He wants more and more people to be added. To be a part of the harvest. The harvest began long ago. It continues today. We need to fill that harvest. And we, all of us, not just the ministers, but everyone, are disciples of Yahusha. we should produce our own harvest for the kingdom. It is what Yahusha requires from us. And so the key is scripture. For us to be able to wait, for us to be able to hope, we need scripture. Because when we study scripture, we find encouragement, right? We find comfort. We find joy. You know why? Because one of uh, the Greek words used to depict inspired by God is theonoustos. which is two words, theos and nustos, which means God breathed. And so the Bible is the product of the breath of God. And so when we ingest, when we bring into ourselves, when we bring into our mind, when we bring into our hearts, into our life, the scriptures, by reading it, meditating it, eating it, right? When we bring the Holy Bible into our life, it's like bringing the breath of Yahuwah into our life. It's like breathing in the breath of Yahuwah, and when you do that, you will feel joy, you will feel gladness, you will feel comfort, and you will have hope, you will have hope, because we know, we know, when we study scripture, the promises of Yahuwah will be fulfilled, okay, that is our lesson, let us stand, and we shall pray together, everlasting and most holy Father Yahuwah, indeed, you are infinite. In the scope of your thoughts, no human being can possibly fathom your way of thinking. You are always filled with rich blessing, rich insight, rich revelation. There are treasures for us to uncover, to unearth when we study your holy book. This is what we want to do because as we do so, we feel strength, we feel inspired because when we read your holy book, It connects us to you. We have this fellowship with you that will bring us not only the presence that we long for, but also ultimately in the end, the promises fulfilled in our very life. Father, teach us to share our faith as more and more people are doing. Help us to be more effective in our work of discipleship. When we go through the training, help us to develop these gifts so that we can be more effective disciples in sharing our faith and producing our rich harvest for you. Our King Yahusha, may you please increase our faith. May you bless our hearts and our minds. Help us to do our best that we may be pleasing to you. Help us when we study the Holy Scriptures, that we will hear your voice, that we will discern your will, that we will develop a better and deeper relationship with you because we know the whole purpose of this book is to bring us into you. Please strengthen our faith and comfort those who are in pain, those who may be afflicted with sickness and disease. May you send forth your Holy Spirit to strengthen and comfort your servants. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed the assembly of Yahusha. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.